Huckabee one three top of the morning top of the afternoon we the biggest we are not the same and if you know where that comes from at least my butchering of it uh you do not need an introduction to my next guest but if you don't know where that's come from the next person i had the opportunity to interview was the barbarian hack he currently is one of the biggest hype men in all of bodybuilding. He's behind a lot of things media-wise in bodybuilding, especially as it pertains to the Olympia, as well as interviewing a lot of other athletes at shows. He is a literal walking, talking pre-workout, and just by talking to him, I felt this big energy where I just felt like I needed to lift right afterwards. In this episode, we get to highlight his background, especially as it pertains to personal branding and getting shit done, as well as you get to hear where all of that no-nonsense, go-getter, hustler ambition comes from, especially when it comes to my man, the Barbarian Hack. And I hope you guys really enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy talking to him. And uh, hmm, anything else? Oh! Shirts. Shirts are coming out soon. I hope uh, you guys have the opportunity to check that out. It will be on my Instagram soon. It is alank.podcast. And uh, until then, guys, thank you all for supporting the channel. And I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Hello, Americans. It is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho, H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Oh, God, we don't know, whatever, right? Is it, All right, so now, uh, I mine's recording on we my end now. now. We're good? Yeah, we is should your, be good. Is your say recording? Yeah. There's no countdown, no nothing? Nope, it says we're like 15 seconds in. Cool. All right. Now, now it's finally officially working. So, all right, guys, welcome to the Shifty Q podcast with Alan Kay on uh, the podcast after the podcast after the podcast. We've had a couple of technical difficulties, but every single time I talk to my man, Barbarian Hack, we uh, have interesting conversations where I just got to hit record and be like, dude, why aren't we putting this on some kind of a recording? Um, but as a slight introductory for those of you who don't or, or are not aware of him, he is a 15-time Natty bodybuilding champ, and that's just before he went into the NPC, which he has a couple of more championships on top of that. He said nonchalantly he thinks he has about 21 championships altogether, but he keeps it pushing, and uh, you'll understand where that comes from the more we talk to him. But he's also a head judge, a master trainer, currently number two overall in the Mr. Universe rankings. Um, and he is just one of the best, in my opinion, hype men in all of bodybuilding. And just as an overall, I don't want to say life coaching experience, but there's definitely a lot to be gained in life perspective from just listening to my man. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for uh, finally taking the time. I know you are one hell of a busy person on a regular basis. So I appreciate that, my man. <clears throat> no problem. I appreciate you, man, for having me on. Yeah, you know, things things come in place. I have a set schedule. Um, and then <clears throat> as things keep jumping in, we keep adding things in. So something may be free, and then by Wednesday, I'm done already, and the week is already packed up. So I appreciate you making time and, you know, taking time out for the pre-podcast to the intra-workout podcast, now the post-workout <laughs> podcast. So this is good. 
Yeah, I uh, I got to be honest with you. I when we're originally messaging and you're like, all right, well, if you're going to be in New York, you got to work out with me before. And I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know if I want to do that. I, I don't know if I want to get my ass kicked. <laughs> so I, I, I think I think I think you are the reason why my my flight got canceled and I couldn't go to New York because you probably <laughs> called the airport and said, I'm not training with this fucking guy. I'm not training with this guy. Damn, I, I didn't I didn't want you to find out. I guess you had to find out that way. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, George, I was... <laughs> George emailed me. He told me. George, oh, he told you. <laughs> the guy you spoke to on the phone. Yep. He said shift uh... EQ, shifted the plane and switched the EQ. <laughs> yeah, man, I kind of, you know, I got I got my pull in some ways, some ways. But, you know, don't let don't let the world know. But, yeah, I wasn't ready for that workout. Though. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, don't be wrong. <laughs> I was getting ready for it. I was like, got to get the red gear. I was making sure I got my pre-workout and everything already. Um, so when you're like, hey, oh, don't man, worry, I, I, tra- I travel with pre-workout, intra-workout. Oh, trust me, nobody has an excuse. When someone says, hey, let's link up and train, I pull out everything. Here's the pre-workout, the intra-workout, the post-workout. What else you need? You need a meal? I got a scale. I got some protein, carbs, and fats. Weigh your shit out because we're about to train. Yeah. I-, I imagine for someone like you who's always on the road, always promoting something, that that's kind of – would you say that's kind of like your – typical day like always traveling always training somewhere else than you're normal used to per se yeah there's always there's always some kind of traveling going on um for the most part i do my best to stay put i'm i'm my best version when i stay put for a certain amount of time but Mm -hmm. you know traveling is just part of the game um as we know today is the 24th tomorrow is my birthday so happy birthday to me pre Happy birthday, my man! Birthday, Um, and then in three and four days, I fly out to the to Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, for the Arnold. I'm booked for that, and I will be there for about a week and a half shooting commercials, and I'll be working at the. um, I'll be doing interviews for Olympia Gear at the Arnold, and I'll also be getting content for them as well. So traveling is always part of the schedule. If I'm not traveling, I feel like I'm not doing anything. So for anybody mm, listening out yeah. there, um, you know, the, the, the key, the key for me is this. Um, I, I'm never satisfied with my success. I always want more. And no matter where I am, I have to keep moving forward. So constantly traveling, constantly being at expos, constantly being at events, that's where I thrive. And I feel like I'm not doing anything unless I'm doing something. Hmm. That that's always interesting where you get highly functional people such as yourself having to always chase that cherry, chase that apple, chase that carrot per se, where it's like the job is never done. And no matter, even if we accomplish something, there's still yet more to accomplish. Cause even just like what you're describing, like even with the championships that I was talking about, like you even were like, Oh, Hey, like, I might win this trophy, but on to the next, on to the next. It's just on here and on to the next one. Correct. I wonder if that's, is that, I don't know if that's healthy though, right? Like it's almost like it's like an unhealthy obsession with getting better all the time. Um, it See, everything has its positive and its negatives, right? So mm. when it comes to you know, let's say for winning a championship title or winning a show, right? You won the show. Congratulations. I always tell 
athletes I work with, and it's a rule of thumb for myself. 48 hours max to enjoy. Because after the 48 hours, it doesn't exist anymore. We live in a social media world. Everyone moves on quickly. Everyone's attention span is very minute, right? So with me, I have reached the levels of success that I have reached because of the positive mindset I got at it. Some people may mm. say, hey, that's kind of a weird obsession, or maybe that's unhealthy. I don't view it as that. I view it as being very healthy because when you win something, why waste time dwelling on what you have already won? There's so many other things you can accomplish. There's levels to the game. There's levels to success. So for a person who just bought a business or who started a business and they, their goal was 100000 and they got 100000 okay, now they're making 100000 who in their right mind is not going to say, I have made 100000 my next goal is 200000 and start working towards that 200000 Don't be satisfied being satisfied. Don't get comfortable unless you're uncomfortable. So be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's going to polish the diamond. That's going to make you the most successful at anything it is that you seek to do in life. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that I've especially learned with bodybuilding. Um, it, it's it's probably one of the first industries that I just on the surface completely like you're chasing after this objective goal, right? I, I first of all, everybody that gets into bodybuilding gets into it for a different reason. And I know for me, when I got into it, I was chasing this objective look, this objective feature, this objective placing. But what I gained out of chasing that objectivity is finding out the processes of investing into myself, eating a lot better, prioritizing and constantly going after this higher version. So it's like what you just said, I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable of constantly changing what that process is like to constantly not be satisfied, but yet be fulfilled in what I'm doing. And I realize that it's never really about the, again, the objective result. Now I'm just more addicted to the process for which I constantly improve on. And if I were to look at anything, that's just my biggest win is to find that process, constantly find that mindset of going after something better. I mean, it's, it's just like this podcast per se, right? Um, if anybody were to have listened to like my very first podcast of this entire channel, it's just like, what? <laughs> definitely don't have any background, don't have any Jordan jerseys, not a good microphone, but because I got so obsessed with just trying to get better, it's like, now it's like this. I'm not saying it's like a Joe Rogan-esque kind of thing, but the aspiration of always being better is something that I definitely learned. And I see it evident in bodybuilding every single day. And one of the things I did want to talk to you about, I know one of the things that we, we, we harped on, you know, one of the narratives in our sport and is that there's no money in natural body. There's no money here, no money there, but someone like you who's constantly networking around constantly brought on to do commercials for the Olympia um, and being part of a lot of different brands. I know you have a really assertive opinion on branding yourself and making a name for yourself per se. So for anybody who has that narrative of you can't make money doing this, you can't money that, like what, what's your outtake and what's your overall perspective on that? Well, we'll start off saying this. When people say there's no money in bodybuilding, 
technically there isn't. You have to go find it. You have to go get it. So if you're a lazy piece of you know how to enter the word there, then you're not going to do anything and you're going to be a loser at home. You need a hustler's mentality. You need to understand that once you reach one goal, there needs to be the next. So in order to make money in the business, you have to hustle. It is what it is. I've seen people say, as soon as I win my pro card, everyone is going to give me a sponsorship. When they win their pro card, no one's calling them at all. Why? Where's the ROI? For those of you who don't know ROI, return on investment. Where's the return on investment? Why would somebody pay you to represent their brand? For what? What, do you, what can you offer? What is the benefit for the company? It's fantastic that you can make X amount of dollars a month and you get X amount of free supplements. Yeah, that's all benefiting you. What are you doing in return for the people giving you that money? Why do you deserve the paycheck? Why do you deserve to get booked for an expo? Why do you deserve to get booked for an event? Why should you be a special guest on someone's list who's already lit and you may not be lit? I use the word lit because everyone's using it now. Lit. Oh, I'm lit. We outside. So if we outside, don't stay inside. Get your butt outside and go get lit. Start a bonfire. Whatever lit means to you, do mm -hmm. something important. So one of the – let's just say one of the things that I, I've done for myself was, I, like you said before, I wasn't satisfied with whatever came to me. So – just to add on to his introduction, I'm a professional bodybuilder. I have pro cards in classic physique, bodybuilding. I have multiple championship titles, 20 plus championship titles. Decided to expand my brand, move into the MPC, won seven championship titles, qualified for the Mr. Universe, came in second against, um, you know, 50 some odd guys that was there. Okay, that's great. I'm also sponsored by MTS Nutrition, TigerFitness.com, The Outright Bar. There was a point where people in North and South Carolina and even Florida thought that I, I had part ownership in the vegan Outright Bar because of how well it was being pushed and promoted on my end when I never directly told anyone to buy anything. There's not one video where I'm telling somebody to buy something. I just tell people what I do, why I do it, the science behind it, and how it has benefited me. And that's how that worked. When I first, people don't, you know, people see certain things and they're like, man, you're so successful. Okay, if you think this is it, then you're fooled. This is only 5% of what I'm capable of. I have 95% more. So don't think because you won your pro card, that that's the end all be all. And don't think that when you get your sponsorship, that's the end all be all. Because when you sign the contract for your sponsorship, you're now at the bottom of the sponsorship and work your way up. Every time something happens, you're a great amateur, you win a pro card. You were at the top of the ranks as an amateur. When you win your pro card, you are on the bottom of the list as a pro. You need to work your way up. 
when you get your sponsorship, same thing. When you start making communications with different companies that they may want to work with you, you're always going to start at the bottom. Yeah. I um I find it interesting on some of the realizations we get after we chase after those objective goals, like the pro card, like the sponsorship. It, it seems like a lot of people pursue these ventures because they think it's going to bring them some kind of validation. But then they realize in of itself, like just because you have these features or these accolades, it doesn't really define who you are or actually create a lot of monetization. Because I think at the end of the day, like just like you're talking about with um, your outright bar where people think like it's you, but they don't really subconsciously realize that they're not really buying the outright bar. They're buying into you and who you are as a person and what you bring about that brand rather than the brand in of itself. I mean, that's exactly why like people buy into like Nike or they buy into the Jordan brand because they buy behind because of the athletes and of the people that represent that brand more than the, what the actual products that they have. Now, I, I, I love that you have like you have this hustle. You have to do this. You have to do that. Where has that has that been something of a personality that you've always had? Is that, is that something from as like, as a kid that you've always kind of just been got to always be better, constantly go after that. Uh, where did that come from for you, my man? Um, yeah, as a child, I used to hustle, hustle Tootsie Rolls, even though I didn't eat them. I used to hustle now laters. I used to go to the store, buy five cents candies and sell them for 25. Mm. It is what it is. I, I, I was always in that mentality where I always got to be better. And I never wanted to be broke. So it was always have more than one hustle. That was that was my mentality when I was growing up. I mean, I grew up in New York City in the Bronx and Harlem, and that's kind of the hustle mentality period, right? So being a Native American growing up in the in, in the area, I was molded by the concrete jungle to be a concrete warrior. So my job was to continue moving forward and never let anything break me. Um and to always have the mindset of continuing, that was from adolescent to, I was never satisfied. Like anything I did, when I, when I first joined the basketball team, I was like, okay, now I want to be one of the best basketball players in my position in the school or wherever I was playing. Because sometimes I didn't play for school. Sometimes I played outside, uh, outside street basketball. And we had street basketball leagues. and I always wanted to be the best version of myself. I never cared about anybody else. I never compared myself to anybody. At the end of the day, um, even when getting ready for a bodybuilding show, I stare at what I look like at my last show. And that's the guy I need to beat. That's the level of conditioning I need to beat. That's the level of density I need to beat. So I'm always comparing myself to me. And that's the reason why I say I'm never satisfied because I know I can always be better. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me um, <clears throat> that you played New York Street basketball um, as you're bringing it up because that narrative is if you can get through the playgrounds over there, then you could pretty much make it anywhere with regards to playing hard and playing with heart, per se. Is that narrative true about New York Street basketball where the, the people out there, you kind of got to earn your keep, per se? Uh, being in the places that I grew up, you got to be able to earn your keep just to go outside. 
Mm. So to be able to go outside and nobody rob you is one thing. To be able to go outside and nobody steals your hat or your sneakers or your jacket, that's that's not sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. Um I I lost my train of thought. Whoever no, you're talking about about where you where you are, you you had to earn your keep to not only go outside, but be able to go outside and still not get your hat stolen, get your shoes stolen and things like that. Right. So you're in a you're in a place where someone's always gonna be envious of what you got and what you you know what you look like or whatever, but like I said before, it's a concrete jungle, right? So you have to learn your position in the jungle and understand you have you have an apex predator and then you also have prey. So mm. growing up, you need to like flip the switch in your brain and understand I'm not prey. If you want to be prey, that's cool, but that was never my goal. My goal was to go outside um, and do what I needed to do to be respected in my neighborhoods. And to this day, I can walk freely in all the neighborhoods and I'm highly respected just because I also give that respect back. Right. Man. So would you say that a lot of your upbringing in that environment is what carries with you till this, till this day? Yeah, I could say, you know, being in the positions that I was put in as a child, being groomed in the areas that I was, that I was groomed in, watching other people and saying, I don't want to be like that person, looking at someone else and saying, well, that person's successful. They got the cars, they got the, the, the money, the women, whatever. Okay, that seems cool, but I don't like the route they took to get there, but the outcome was cool. Then I got to find my own way. I was always one to, even at a young age, I used to tell my friends, like, you don't have to be like this person, that person, or this person, because there's only one you. Mm. You only have one thumbprint. Your fingerprint is your own, mm. right? So there's only one unique you. So you just have to be the best version of you, but you can still be able to get the things that everyone else did. So that hustle mentality has been there. And yes, growing up where I have been and the positions I was put in definitely set the mindset to where there was a continuous hustle mentality for success. Yeah, I um, I, I remember recently when all of the Asian hate things got got popular on social media, you know, and all of a sudden every Asian person was they got sympathy brought up. Oh, I'm sorry that you had to go through this objectification. I'm sorry you had to be emasculated through whatever. And I remember explaining to one of my friends where I am so grateful to be discriminated against. I'm so grateful to have been objectified and constantly made stereotypes about because it gave me a real opportunity to reflect on who the hell I really am and my other objectivity that everybody else says. And it also gave me this inert, I have to prove myself in some dynamic, which I've been able to channel into just constantly being a better version of myself. A lot like how you just said, look at my past version or past physique and then be like how can i build and be better because it's all about just being better for my own respect rather than it is for everybody else's perception and it, it's it's what i find really interesting is the more and more people i meet such as yourself who went through kind of what would people describe as a rough upbringing but it's rather has given you an opportunity to become just a stronger more assertive person into who you are and you could just tell that's what 
drives you and it's what who you are as a person that's what your brand is all about i mean it's i'm reading just your hat right in of itself it's the biggest but i could just feel the energy that is it is the biggest man it is that so it's just man it's just crazy to hear that that's actually where that came from and it's not surprising one bit at all my man not at all um yeah it's a it's a, it's a mindset you know when people hear me say Daka IAB one three top of the morning, top of the afternoon, we the biggest, we are not the same. Mm. That's literally just to let people know it has nothing to do with a physical attribute. I step on stage at 168 pounds. That's middleweight bodybuilding. Okay. So I'm not talking about I'm the biggest in the fitness center. It is a mindset. It is a thought process. We're the biggest because no matter what we think about we can achieve i had a conversation with someone yesterday if you don't mind me expanding on it i had a conversation with somebody yesterday and they told me this young man literally said i want to be more confident that that's my weakness that's why i don't get things done because i'm not confident so i don't do things and i told them you're not born with confidence no one is born with confidence. There's no confident gene. You have to actually go through the process of something to become confident at it. If you've never, like, for example, this particular individual was becoming a cop. And I told them, weren't you afraid to shoot your pistol the first time you got it? And they was like, I was so afraid. I thought it was going to hit me in the face. I said, okay. Now, a year later, after actually practicing in the gun range, aren't you confident? Confident is built through the process and application of doing something. The first time somebody gets on stage, they're not the best version of themselves. They're probably nervous. After about five to 10 shows, it doesn't matter that you're wearing a thong and you're oiled up and your ass cheeks look like walnuts and you're flexing on stage for hundreds of people. It doesn't matter. It, you, you, you become so confident. I remember there was a time when I was little, I didn't even want to take off my shirt at the pool. Now I step on stage with oil, a tan and a thong or a G string, whatever the hell they want to call it. Posing trunks. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just one of those things. Yeah. What, um, that's a, that's just a, a, a great, I, I love that because I, I think just what you just said is like confidence in of itself needs to kind of be re re brought about with understanding that confidence isn't like you just said, it's not just a genetic, it's not like you just speak confidence and you're like, you're confident all of a sudden. I think confidence comes, especially for us as men, it comes as constantly proving to ourselves that we can achieve our goals and constantly evolving with it and constantly going after things and proving to ourselves that we can constantly go after, constantly get better. I'm gonna just gonna use the word constantly and constantly just achieving these things that we set out to do. And we have, you know, to ourselves, we have this resume of things that we've proven that we can't achieve as, as long as do. And that's why people develop confidence. And, and that's exactly why confidence is different for every single person. Like you can have someone who's, won five different Olympias or whatever, and they might not have the confidence of this one person that just competed once because their metrics of who they are to themselves of the things that they want to achieve might just be different. So the metrics for which they define confidence as, as it pertains to themselves are different 
And as long as you constantly prove that to yourself, and that's why the different confidence and that's why the objective goals can be different within those means of confidence, you know? Um, speaking of which, I, I remember that we, when we first spoke, you said that you now compete at 168, but when, once you first started, you're like at 135 when you first started uh, competing. Oh, I think I lost you there for a second. Oh. You good? Oh, yeah, you don't have to say that again. I don't know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. You, no, you're good. No, no. We're we're talking about earlier where um, I was saying that you competed at 168, but then you started about eight years ago at like 135. Correct. So, is right, that about eight eight and a half years ago? I was 135 when I won my pro card. So I started at 130, worked my way up, won my pro card at 135. Correct. Wow. And so what has that been like over the years of evolving? Like, what would you say is like some of the key principles that, that you hold on to or that you've evolved with that have helped you grow into this point of where you are? Mm, so rephrase the question one time. Rephrase it again. <laughs> no, no, no. So you've grown from like 130 in the one, all the way to like 168. Um, so what would you say are like some of the keys to your evolution? What are some of the things that, that maybe you'd advise anybody else who's looking to constantly improve their physique such as you have? Got it. All right. So number one, um, obviously, you know, I wasn't 135 pounds in the bulk phase, right? Like in your pre-contest phase. So number one, you don't have as much muscle as you really think you do. Keep that in mm. mind. Because to reach the level of conditioning that I w needed to get to, to actually win the show who, with, against people that weighed way more than I did, in order to bring the detail and the quality, I needed to peel down to a, the lowest body fat percentage possible where it hurt to sit down it hurt to stand. Jeez. I lost two inches in height because I lost the body fat on my feet and heels. Okay. So if anybody has ever went and weighed themselves in and got it heighted and they're lower in height than they expected, it's because usually the last level of body fat comes off your heels. So I had to peel down to 135 to be able to bring the detail, the shreds, the nasty look to bring out the vascularity, right? So I peeled down to about 130. And then after the, the, um, the carb loading or whatever, I got up to 135, but I was at that peak, right? So that was peaked. Recently, my last show was 168, peaked, dry, shredded, but it took me years to get there. And one of the things I want people to know is that Bodybuilding's about phases. There's the phase where you have to get peeled, and then there's the grow phase. Try to stay as lean as you can. Don't get sloppy and fat, but you have to push the food. Food goes up, cardio goes down. You gotta find a way to be able to make the improvements needed. No Jane Fonda movements, no little pink dumbbells. Lift heavy, lift hard. And, and, and keep pushing yourself. That's what allowed me. I've, I've, I've trained with 
Mr. Olympians. I've trained with Mrs. Olympians. I've trained with professional bodybuilders. I've trained with some of the coolest people that people idolize. I've trained with Jay Cutler, Mark Lobliner. I mean, I can keep going. The names and the list is so is so long. Brandon Curry, like, and then my boys. There's so many people that I've trained with, and there's also professional athletes that I have trained because of my vast knowledge of training. Focus on your training and your nutrition when you want to make drastic changes to your physique. Remember, there will come a time where you're going to have a little bit more body fat than you want to. That's part of the game. Just don't become a fat slob and you'll be fine. You don't want to get too fat because you know that you have to cut back down. So usually what I saw for people who are trying to figure out, wow, he he went from 135 to, you know, 168 on stage and it took him, you know, eight plus years to get there. Well, I would bulk up or whatever. I don't like using the word bulk, but everybody does. It, to me, I, I train in phases. So lean mass phase, cutting phase, lean mass phase, cutting phase, lean mass phase, cutting phase, lean mass phase. As you mm. see, there's still an incline and still a progression. So I may get I may get to this peak right here, which may, let's just say, was 165. And then by the time I cut back down, I'm not 135 no more. I'm maybe 145 now. And then I would go back up, and maybe this time at 165, I look way better than I did last time. So let's push the food even more, probably go up to 175. These are not exact numbers, but mm -hmm. the whole point of this imaginary chart is to show you that as long as you're doing the progression of this, your physique is changing. Now, if you're doing show after show after show after show, and you do not take in off time, you're not going to grow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's like really important for, for people to understand is, is although like what you just said, it's really easy just to say 135 to 168 years. And it's really easy just to make kind of like a linear line towards, Oh, look at that's all you got to do. But in that, if you look and take a closer look at that line, you'll realize what you just said. It's just a constant up and down, up and down, up and down, but constantly improving in that process. And I think that's really important to understand. Um, out, out of curiosity, too, I, I know you just said constantly where I think you just hit something on the head that I'm kind of, I don't want to say going through, but definitely being challenged with, which is I, I've decided to take this year off from competing and I'm uh, focused on other elements of training. Like I, I definitely started taking on like Muay Thai, a couple of other things that require a little bit more body fat to recover and and handle. But I'm starting to get challenged with that. I have a little bit more body fat than I'm used to because I'm used to getting ready and cutting for the competition by this point. But for you, where, where's out of curiosity, like how do you, how do you deal with that being uncomfortable? If you're noticing you're getting out of line, like how do you kind of handle those things and what's your thought process behind that? So if you're trying to improve your physique, the way that I do things, I always have friends that I can lean upon because I'm very subjective against myself. And like, I'm, let's just put it like this. I'm so, I'm the hardest person on myself. And sometimes mm. since I see myself all the time, I look to friends of mine that are professionals in the industry, like the Brandon Curry's, you know, I've sent him photos before when I'm getting ready for a show just to see, 
you know, because he is Mr. Olympia, right? He's a good friend of mine. He won't lie to me. But he's also Mr. Olympia, right? So I've also had Mark Lobliner in my corner, you know? He owns Tiger Fitness MTS. He's been there to where there's times where I'll shoot him some photos and I'm like, what are you thinking? He's like, dude, let's just keep pushing the weight because, like, you're, like, you still have abs and you still have vascularity. Let's just push it because if we don't push it, you you're going to wind up stepping on stage the same way you were before. So it's more so I've always had it in my mind, even when I'm dealing with athletes, as long as we can visibly see abs, they don't need to be veiny and show ready, but as long as they're visible, there's, you should just have to remind it, just remind yourself it's part of the process. It's part of the process. Get comfortable with that because there's going to be a point where you're going to have to chop back down. And you're not eating as much. And as you're chopping back down, you're going to notice things. Your glycogen restoration is not going to be the same because the carbohydrates is not as high. You know, things like that. And then the pumps aren't going to be the same. And you're going to be like, oh, man, <laughs> I remember when I used to eat the pancakes in the morning and I used to lift. I used to get the massive pumps. So it's kind of like just understand, number one, understand it's a process. Number two, as long as you still have visible leanness to you, you're better than 99% of the population. So don't worry about it. You know, as an athlete, yes, there's certain, you know, because I've, I've dealt with MMA fighters, boxers, et cetera, um, as a sports nutritionist, right, and a strength and conditioning coach. And a lot of them, I've even had Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters where they come to me and they're like, hey, I'm about to do this championship battle. I'm going for this title. You know, I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z and cut this water and do all this nonsense. I'm like, nah, bro, we're 10 pounds over the weight cap. All we're going to do is do a slow cut down. We're going to just chill there. We'll start bringing the food back up. And once it gets time for you to check in, we'll check in. Let's not worry about all the hocus pocus, not the drastic changes. Because even when a fighter has to lose a certain amount of weight, you will feel weaker at that lower weight if it's drastic. If it's linear and slow... By the time you realize that something has hit your strength or whatever, it's you're already starting to eat again and start to put food back in the system. So you're not even going to feel as bad as those people who tried to, you know, lose 30 pounds in eight weeks. Yeah, that's um, that's an interesting take. And and I can hear it. you. You also coach people just as a general whole, right, with regards to bodybuilding and yeah, so I have professional athletes. I have uh, pro bodybuilders. I have a couple amateurs. Um, I've I've coached MMA fighters, MLB baseball players, um, two NFL football players. Uh, based on my background of you know rehab and prehab, being able to teach athletes how to prevent injuries or how to work around an injury. So even when a bodybuilder is in prep and they may tweak their shoulder or whatever, I'll change their program to be able to still be able to train certain things but take take the more safe approach so that that body part can heal while still making progress in their in their cutting phase to be able to be successful so i've 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 worked with a lot of people wow in different so fields what's yeah so what's what's that like working and coaching and training other people in different fields um so like an mma fighter we would work more on power and strength because you also would have grappling, you would have mitt work, and then you probably have another martial art that you'll be doing. 
So that's usually going to be a majority of your training. Like I have a uh, MMA fighter in Florida that we're working on, and they do three classes a day. They do wrestling. I think it's wrestling, jujitsu, and then grappling. But you can call grappling wrestling for two hours. Similar, right? Mm -hmm. So they have that. So I have their training program on a three to four week. Depends on how much recovery they're going to need. So. Like, they're not going to train like a bodybuilder, right? Because a bodybuilder is all about the look and all about what you look like and how you're progressing. Where with a fighter, it's more so power, strength. A soccer player, it's about speed and power on the field. Um, a basketball player, depending on their position, is going to be speed and power. Um, they may also need strength, depending on their position. So as a coach, you got to look at the different perspectives. Like I, I got a vast background. I've got multiple certifications and things just to be able to turn one brain off and turn the other on. Like a boxer is not going to be deadlifting 700 pounds, you know, for eight <laughs> right. reps, six right. sets. Like it makes no sense. They're going to blow their back. Um, but what they can do is stay, you know, move away from the conventional deadlift and move into a hex bar deadlift, which is going to put them in more of a neutral position and the hex bar deadlift is like 40 to 60% more effective when it comes to power and strength than a conventional. So this, you got to put some science in there and you got to know what's the movements that these people need. You know, if you're dealing with a boxer who's throwing jabs and hooks all day, well, what are they doing constantly, right? It's the same motion as a bench press, right? So their shoulders are getting beat up. So a boxer may not have to do shoulder press and things of that nature because they're constantly doing push-ups, They're constantly throwing jabs and punches which is actually going to overwork the rear, uh, the front delt. So in a, in a boxer's position or a fighter's position, now we start working on other things. Let's start strengthening the rear delts. Let's start strengthening the scapula. Let's start strengthening everything because if everything is pushing this way, eventually your shoulders start to roll like this. So what we want to do is bring everything back into position for it to make sense. So I take a scientific approach and more strategic approach. I'm very hands-on. I know that was a lot, probably right. too much for people to actually understand, but just understand <laughs> like when somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, this is my goal. I got a million and one questions and I design things specifically for that individual. Hmm. Hmm. How much of what you do is dealing with mindset as well? I feel like a lot of these processes are, are, I don't want to say generic, but it sounds like the same process for every single person. But I imagine like, the mindset is different for everybody else as well. That kind of comes to you and seeks your support. Yeah. So there is a form of, you know, hock the fill. You know how people say Dr. Phil, I wind up being <laughs> hock the fill, right? So, <laughs> so the mindset is everything. I won't let an athlete step on stage if they don't think they're going to win. Ooh. They have to know they're going to win or you're not going on stage. You have to know. You have to own that. I will not put a fighter in the ring if they don't know they're going to win. Mm -hmm. If you know you're going to lose, then it's a waste of time. Why go fight if you know you're, you're going to lose? You already lost. Because that means mm -hmm. any, any sign of losing during that fight, you're going to look for the door to lose. Yeah. Where if you know you're going to win, you're looking for every door to open, to choke his ass out, to break his kneecap if need be, 
to get an arm bar or to literally find the opening and push the button and knock him out or her. I've worked with some women fighters before and I actually like working with women when it comes to fighting and because they just, they're like savages. I love them, but they're savages. <laughs> they, they tend to work harder than the men. Um, I kid you not. Hmm. That, that's interesting. Where do you, um, where, where do you think that comes from where women want to be a little bit more aggressive in the ring than men? I think it's because one, they have a lot to prove to themselves. A lot of women do not really care about what other people feel. There are some, we know those, right? But a lot of women have things to prove to themselves. And there's those little demons in those closets that they try to like, they got like a beast in a cage that sometimes we just kind of open and let it out for a little while. And then we find the little treat and walk them back into the cage. Mm. Some women know how to flip and switch. Women, and I don't want people to think that this is like sexist or anything, right? No, but no. women are emotional internal beings. So a lot of their stuff is they hold in and they process so much. And I found that a lot of women who are fighters, that helps that seeing something, pulling it in, analyzing it, and then attacking based on the analytics is it, that's, that's the sign of a true fighter to be able to look at the feet position, the hand position. Oh, wow. Every time I hit him in the gut, the elbow is dropping round by round. That elbow is dropping, which means essentially maybe by round four, that glove that was here might be here now which exposes all of this. Mm. Mm. I, am, I, I can imagine what this getting into that. And, and, you know, to be honest, that's kind of one of the reasons why I started training in a Muay Thai. Like, so I did Taekwondo as a kid. I don't feel like I really, I don't want to say I didn't gain much, but I know a lot of those principles, I really just kind of lost, but a lot of kind of what we're talking about with instincts and everything, I think there's, something to be gained from the experience of fighting someone else, whether it's discovering the behaviors within yourself in that moment, the primal instincts that we have as creatures or as people that are survival of the fittest. I feel like some of those elements about ourselves are only taught and learned and gained when we put ourselves in a position of fighting or anything like that. And I think that there's, so much to be gained for everybody to train in that aspect because that that desire to beat someone else is healthy as long as you could channel it in, in the right ways and channel it for the for the betterment of yourself. And yeah, I just think just constantly learning about those mindsets of other people and what triggers that is just absolutely um phenomenal. Now everything that we're talking about with regards to the mindset, the approaching to get better. You have to win. Is that is that a lot of what your brand is about? Like we the biggest, like we the we the we are not the same. Is is uh but by, uh, by the way, I just as I repeated that, A, I feel like I'm 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 doing you an injustice because the way you said it is a lot better than the way I just said it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you, what just just saying it makes me feel energized. It makes me feel like I just took a scoop of pre-workout. Like so is that the I kind of pre-workout? I'm, yeah, you, I'm the uh, walking pre-workout. See what I'm? That's what I was saying. You know what, bro? Like, what the funny thing is, he said it's that it's a mantra. It's yeah. a mantra. That's what bro, it is. 
I actually, when I was writing this out to try to, to think of ways to introduce you, the human pre-workout is written in, in, in quotes in one of the, the intros <laughs> that I put for you. So the fact that you said you are the pre-workout, I was like, we must be on the same page. But yeah, is that a lot of what you try to inspire with your brand, the, I guess, the human pre-workout? I mean, I'm, I'm nicknamed the human pre-workout, but in reality, <laughs> what it is, if you haven't seen it, it, we say the biggest, right? But we take the M in me and flip it upside down and make it we. It's always going to be more than one person. You always have a team, right? And you got to build your team. But outside of that team, when I'm saying we the biggest, that means everybody, you, everybody listening to this, if you feel like you're the biggest at what you do, then you're with us. If you mm. feel like you're not the biggest, that's cool. Go sit over there and go do whatever you want to do. Go color in a crayon book because we're winning. We <laughs> are winning. So it's all about we. It's about spreading positive energy to everybody and letting them know if you're a janitor, be the biggest janitor. If you're a doctor, be the biggest doctor in that hospital. If you're a teacher, be the biggest teacher you are in that school. Because anything that you're doing, you have to be the biggest out of it. You have to give it your all. So that whole, the walking pre-workout is, is funny, but it has stuck with me for a little while now. Because there mm. are people who hit me up and say, bro, I watch your training commercials right before I go train. I don't even need a pre-workout. I see the grit. I see the grind. I'm ready to go train. That's cool to me. Um, you know, that, I mean, I've had people hit me up and say, I love the training, but I want to see you outside talking your talk, walking your walk, letting people know those minor little speeches you give. And I'm going to start doing those again because I've had a ton of them recently. Like, we miss those. We need those. And I said, don't worry, they're coming. Uh, I just been focused on other things that require other commercial aspects to be placed, you know? So um, certain opportunities came and I had to jump on it. Yeah, that's... Are, so it's are always there, we. Are there... Uh, first of all, I like that. First of all, I enjoy the fact that it's like a we because it's... I don't know if you've had this, but I know like for me, for example, the average population doesn't doesn't exactly compete or do bodybuilding in that manner. Can you hear me? We good on this? We good? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I don't good, know good. what the hell. No, <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, but like I was saying earlier, like the average population of itself doesn't exactly bodybuild. So when you go out there and you're like, let's say you're at just a basic convention, you see someone else that does compete. It's like, oh, you're one of us. You know what it's like to do this. So I, it's, it's really encouraging to see like, Hey, if you have this mindset of you're the best at what you do and you aspire to be that, like you're one of us, you're part of the tribe. And I think there's so much to be gained about understanding that it's just a, a real mindset that you got to approach and you got to acquire and you got to build rather than it being a, you got, you can't, you don't always have to be the biggest person in the gym, but in the mindset, as long as you're the biggest version of yourself like that in of itself is what the most important thing is of it. And I, I feel like that's like a lot of what 
of why, who you are, what you are and why people want to work with you and the different brands that you want to work with you. Um, speaking of which, man, I really did want to bring about the commercial that you just mostly really did that, that outright bar where the guy was like, Oh, I just want broccoli. What broccoli? And then, Hey, you need to get this. And you eat the bar. That's, and up- <laughs> that, that's, that's actually Mark Lobliner, the owner of the outright bar, the owner of MTS nutrition and tigerfitness.com. We actually shot that in tiger fitness gym right outside of the warehouse. Okay. And the whole point of that commercial was you're not yourself when you're hungry. So that's why the guy walked up to him and said, hot, you're not being yourself. And he's like, I don't want broccoli. I'm from New York. So he was playing me. And then once he bites it, I'm back to normal. And I'm like, I didn't mean to push you. My bad. Right, right. No, what's great about that is I had no idea. Like, why are you posting this? That's, that's not hot. What do you? T- oh, I get it. Now I get the, now I get the premise of the commercial. But that's just, yep. um, that's phenomenal. And, and the fact that you, or a shining example of how, like you just said, as long as you just brand yourself and for the all the right reasons and the right intentions of who you are, not what you are, the sky's the limit for everything that you do. So speaking of which, and now you're talking to other people, like what's it like for you to like be at all these, like invited to all these bodybuilding events or like, hey, we like the way that you talk with other people, the way that you help them bring about their story what's that experience been like for you and and how has that continued to grow for yourself um it it it's it's a shocking thing sometimes hmm. i mean it's fantastic it feels great but when i say it's shocking it's like i'll give you an example right so mm-hmm. i'm at the 2023 mr olympia which i will also be at the 2024 mr olympia doing all the behind the scenes coverage so if you guys want to come and hang out with me great come and see me i'll be there i'll also be at the arnold in a couple days with that being said i i interviewed a lot of my friends brandon curry jay cutler a lot of my friends were there so it's easy right but then um it's one of those things where I literally interviewed someone, like I interviewed a friend of mine, Guy Sistanino, and I tried to make the interview about him. And then he wind up talking about me. And that's what shocked <laughs> me. The fact that like, I used to look at these guys in magazines when I was younger and now I'm friends with them, but I didn't know how much I have impacted them. If that makes sense. Right. Cause I look at them as like, ah, I'm me, they're them, we're, we're, we're cool, we're friends. But for somebody to like big you up when you're trying to interview them and they're like, oh, Hawk is doing this, he's doing that, his team is official, the message that he speaks, like I always look forward to watching his video. When people say they are always looking forward to watching my video and it's somebody that I've been following for a while that just now became friends, it's like kind of shocking. And even people that I'm not friends with. I've interviewed people who... Um, I didn't even know they knew who I was Mm. and they're talking to me as if they know who I am with the whole social media thing. When people watch your videos over and over and over, there's some kind of camera communication that they get where it feels like a relationship to where when they see you, they, they approach you like they know, yo, what's up, bro. And I'm like, Hey, what's going on? But I have no (laughs) idea who you are. And it's like, it, it's great, but it's kind of like, 
I'm never going to make anybody feel any type of way. But there's times where I've had people stop me and like target. They're like, oh, what's up, bro? I'm like, yeah, what's going on? And then like whoever's with me is like, who's that? I'm like, I have no idea. But I don't want to <laughs> make them feel bad. So they saying, what's up? So I'm saying, what's up? I don't know who they are. Right. And when I'm interviewing these people, as far as the interviews are concerned, that's the part. It's fun to do it because I never really set a goal to actually do that. It just so happened to be that. Um, when people feel my energy, like off camera, I've had them talk to other people and it's like, dude, hot, there's something about his energy. Like he can, like if you're tired at an expo and he's interviewing you, you're, you're back up. It's as if you took an energy drink and you're ready. So it's, it's cool. It's fun. It's, um, I, like I said, I didn't plan this to happen. Like I didn't wake up at when I was five and say, you know, I'm going to step on stage oiled up in a thong, half naked and interview people. Didn't, that's not what I said. It just so happened to pan out that way. And every year it gets better. So I'm great. Cool. No, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, I, I can imagine that's elating as hell to go out there, work on your brand and get in that kind of, unexpected feedback to let you know that what you're doing is correct, you know, or what you're doing is actually providing value and going out to what you continue to set out to do. Um, with that being said, what, what is from, from here on out for you, what's, what are some of the bigger vision goals? Like what are some of the things that you would like to achieve with your brand, with who you are uh, as an athlete, as a person, what are some things that you have on the horizon for yourself? As far as competing, I'm going to be doing a show later on this year at the end of the year. Um, okay. It's going to be definitely after the Olympia because I'll be in Vegas for about a week for the Olympia. After that, I'll be competing so that I can requalify for the Mr. Universe and go that route. Um, I, w I was already requalified for 2023, but my schedule just superseded. I had family things I had to deal with. I had um, tribal family business I had to take care of. And then being booked for expos and events, it kind, that kind of superseded. You know, so I put bodybuilding to the side for a second, continued what I needed to do for my brand, continue you know, making my connections and moving within the industry and hitting the road the way I usually do. So like I decided not to do it. I just realized the risk to reward, like me doing all of this traveling and being able to jump on a stage to win. Cause I don't compete to compete. I go to win. It didn't make sense. Mm. So with that, I kind of pushed and said, you know what, that gives me another six to eight more months of a lean mass phase. So this gives me a year, a full year and change to be able to make some drastic changes to bring to the stage outside of that. Um, you know, I have about eight major events that Olympia Gear has me showing up to, to help represent there. Um, and then I have, you know, some expos that already reached out to me. I have some vegan events, some veggie fests that reached out for me to be a part of. So just continuously doing what I'm doing and expanding more and more is what I have for this year. Uh, once I check all the boxes for this year, then I'll start planning what I'm going to do for next year. Nice. Nice. And uh, for anybody else that is listening to anybody that is um, wanting to get inspired by you, how can they follow you? How would they be able to reach you? On Instagram at Barbarian Hawk. That's B-A-R-B-A-R-I-A-N-H-A-K. 
and all social media platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Clapper, all of it is Barbarian Hawk. All the same. Let's go. Let's go. Wait, what's uh what's Clapper? Clapper is a new social media app that I was looking into that I actually joined. It's a Okay. United States version of TikTok. So oh. no dancing, no trending. You actually build your own community and you create videos based on the community create. So with TikTok and other platforms, in order to get monetized, you have to reach certain level of notoriety, certain level of uh, authenticity. You also have to reach a certain level of um, certain amount of followers and things of that nature, obviously, to be able to be monetized. Where in mean, Clapper, you as soon as you have it, you can have zero followers, but you're already monetizable. You can still start making money, you know, if you chose to do that. Right. Um, it's a new environment. So I look at every social media platform as a new fan base or a new follower base or a new friendship base, whatever word people want to use, right? So for me, it's just a new audience because I noticed that people who follow me on Instagram do not follow me on TikTok. The people who follow me on TikTok are completely different. Same thing for YouTube. There's people who only like YouTube, don't like Instagram. There's people who only like TikTok and don't like YouTube. So use anybody out there. If you're trying to do anything, it doesn't matter what your company is, what your brand is. Just utilize all those social media. It doesn't matter if you had 50,000 on one and three on another. Just get it because that's three other people that you didn't reach when you on the other platform that you had 50. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And, and yeah, especially for me too, that's, uh, it's, that's actually very interesting too, because I, I, the one thing that I'm always kind of concerned, I don't have a TikTok, but one of the things I'm concerned about is that the algorithms kind of make you enforce into doing dances or doing dumb things just based off of the way the algorithms are set to say that you're valid or you're funny or your content goes out. So the fact that you right. are able to kind of, I, 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 it sounds like you're able to dictate what that algorithm is for you based off of the community you set up, would that be accurate? Right, and just to kind of add on, what I'm learning about algorithms from social media, it's really important. Algorithm equals audience. So how are you entertaining the audience? How are you educating the audience? How does the audience see that? Um, in that particular, like, I have no connection with Clapper. I actually was trying to find a way to invest in it. Um, so Clapper, if you're watching this, hit me up. I got some money. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just noticed any social media platform that's coming out now, because there was a time where I only had Instagram and nothing else. Like I just started the TikToks and the YouTubes and all that. I uh, decided I'm just going to do all of them and just be consistent with all of them and just post. It doesn't matter if you get one view or 30 views, just, just post. If you have value, and you're actually doing this and you want to do it because you know you want to help people, then do it. But yeah, Clapper seems to be cool. I don't spend much time on there. I post and go. I went live a couple times, but um it works based on your like you have to unlock your like uh um like what you're nearby and you know, unlock where your position is. And they actually find other people that's on Clapper in your area and then they start shooting your content to the people that's local to you. 
So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I was just trying to see it as a research project. I mean, I got, um, I don't know, I think it's like 2,000 followers on there, but I'm like barely on it. Mm. Mm. I got you, man. And, and I agree with you, right? Right. We just said, if you have value, go out and spread it because there's definitely someone that can definitely benefit from the things that you already know and the things that you're projecting. That Correct. is for sure. Um, but all right, my man, we'll stay on for just a little bit. I do appreciate your time. I do appreciate you instilling the the pre-workout into all of us as we're li- listening to this. Um, and for everybody else that is tuned in for this, until next time, guys, thank you for joining. And deuce. Ooh. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Oh, H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the 